Whatever nightmares the future holds are dreams compared to harmless phosphorescence. Everybody, this is 100% Dick Thoreau Smiley. Who's joining me this week? I'm Josh CC, and I don't learn. It's one of my problems. My other problems, see above. I, I'm Brian Lesh, and we're just like Kevin Bacon. I'm Alaric Weber, and you will succumb to my pelvic sorcery. Will as if it's a future tense thing (laughs) Uh, This is Armless Phosphorescence It's the podcast where we watch every theatrically released Full length live action superhero movie ever made We gather some research into the production and source material Then we tell you all about it The show is brought to you by our patrons Patrons like executive producers Michael Beckwith and Atticus Burkett You want to be a patron too? It's easy Go to Patreon dot com slash harmless entertainment yeah i just want to be quick yeah please do it's it's a dollar a month um atticus and michael have been producing us since we began we're so thankful for them but uh get on board help them out they can't carry everything yeah and 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 to get your name read on the show every week all you got to do is become an executive producer there's multiple levels buck a month is your starting point uh, we've got other levels where you get more stuff than just watching our monthly show. Uh, our right, monthly, we, we have exclusive content that never gets released for free. Yeah, ever. Sometimes we do for an occasion, but we have stuff that you can only hear on Patreon. Yeah, and we've got tons of that up there. There's music stuff. We've got a weekly Simpsons show that's coming out now. Uh, so check it out, patreon.com slash harmless entertainment. But this week on Harmless Phosphorescence, we are watching Guardians of the Galaxy. No! Yeah, hey, cool man, no problem. No problem at all. Who are you? Star-Lord. Who? Well, Star-Lord, man, legendary outlaw. Forget it. <laughs> We arrested these five on Xandar. Check out the rap sheets. Drax, AKA the Destroyer. Since his wife and family were killed, he's been on a rampage across the galaxy in his search for vengeance. Gamora, soldier, assassin, wanted on over a dozen counts of murder. Rocket, wanted on over 50 charges of vehicular theft and escape from lockup. What the hell? Groot, he's been traveling recently as Rocket's personal houseplant slash muscle. Peter Jason Quill. He's also known as Star-Lord. Who calls him that? Himself, mostly. He's wanted largely on charges of minor assault, public intoxication, and fraud. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know how this machine worked. Hey, 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 that's mine. You son of a hey. Take those headphones off right now! They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. 
Guardians of the Galaxy. It was the trailer is so weird. The music is so weird. What the hell is happening in the marketing for this movie? So intense and suspenseful. Yeah, that trailer. That's a good trailer. It doesn't really tell you anything about the plot. Um, It introduces you to them. There was some. There was obviously some stuff shot just for the trailer because there was a lot of John C. Riley stuff in there that wasn't in the movie. Um, But. uh, yeah, I, I feel like this is really the beginning. Like, you know, the Avengers and everything, all of that. Yes, that's MCU. But I feel like this is really the beginning of the modern MCU. Like the way it feels now continues it, from here. The humor is the center of the movie and yes. and the marketing for the movie, too. Like they're they're tricking us with the intense, dramatic aspect of it. And ending with Hooked on a Feeling is a cool choice. Mm-hmm. But the first half of this trailer felt like a Marvel, like a like Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, but dripping little bits in there, like yeah, him, him saying his name and not getting recognized. Yeah, um, the the a hole line, the the machine. Yeah, his all of that. Machine. Yeah, <laughs> yes, all of that. Um, it it reminds me of those old days when. <laughs> I used to be uh, 100% behind Chris Pratt as an actor and movie star. I remember when we all were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember anyone ever saying he was brilliant, but like, he know, was. I, I loved him on Parks and Rec. I loved yes. him in this. And then it's been downhill ever since, honestly. <laughs> um, uh, his personal his His personal issues are have not helped of course but uh he's also been pretty underwhelming in everything he's done that's not guardians honestly Jurassic Park hasn't been especially impressive for him but you didn't love that movie where he was a total weirdo in passengers where he like uh woke that girl up and then um, and 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 gaslights her and like yeah. tricks her into having sex with him yeah that was yeah. great that was fantastic wow what a what a great movie yeah Ooh. uh um, but Guardians of the Galaxy was released August 1st, 2014. It has a running time of 122 minutes. It cost $232 million, and it made $772 million at the box office. And that means... Which that- is... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Josh. Uh, uh, it just adds... To, maybe not just adds. Maybe it's the number one thing a mystery as to how this even worked how this franchise or movie like it, it made that money and it made that money right away based on a super obscure comic book with unrecognizable characters. Yeah. Well, and I mean, what a, ga- what a gamble. Like you said, it's, it kicked off the universe, but that's a gamble. It's a it, big, it was a gamble. Um, I think it, I mean, it definitely helped that, you know, they were selling it as a Marvel, as an M, they were selling it as MCU. They were selling it as funny, as, um, you know, like the, the, the ad campaign, like that, that trailer, like sold the hell out of this. I saw that the, trailer and I was like, yes, I have to see this. The two yeah. most famous people in this movie are playing the talking tree and talking raccoon. Yeah. Right. Yes. Especially yeah. at this point in time, you know. Yeah. Like in two thousand. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. What was this? Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Crazy. I saw this the day it came out in movie theaters on a whim. 
I saw, like, oh, yeah. I saw it opening. I came week. out of another movie and w- was like, well, there's a line for that Marvel movie. I love Marvel movies. I'll see this. That seems weird. Yeah. I, I saw it opening week. Um, I took, I took rain and Jude rain came out of it. Like Jude was young. So, I mean, he came out of it like, yay, spaceships, superheroes. It's great. Um, rain was early teens. Uh, maybe, maybe 12, 13, somewhere around there. Um, Oh no, 2014. He would have been, yeah, he would have been a teenager. Um, but, uh, yeah, he came out of it like I like with like wow, I want to get a Walkman. I'm obsessed with Peter Quill now and this whole thing like it was it was like Indiana Jones for him. He came out yeah, with that. Totally. It's like, it would, felt you like, like Star Wars. would you like some cereal? Would you like cereal, dude? Um it's <laughs> Yeah. Never mind. Go ahead. But yeah, no, that's I mean that's the thing and it it had real it it had that those vibes. It has um, at specifically, and James Gunn has said he specifically was trying to make that kind of movie. Indiana Jones, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, these are things it draws very heavily on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. It also did something else. Um, I was just thinking about. Obviously, Thor did to an extent, but it was very Asgardian related. This movie opened up. Um, Space and magic to a certain extent that wasn't introduced in the MCU yet. Absolutely. Especially space. Like, it's always just assumed that there's one galaxy, one group of planets, one group of, of, of creatures. And I like this shit that there's regular other people just trying to hustle and make a buck. It's, I like it's, it's fun to think of all that shit, the it, shit that's happening. It did that Star Wars thing that like that yes. can't. It's, yeah, it's like the cantina scene of Star Wars in a whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they even had one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With the the racing of, the, of those little rats, yeah. and, and all the shit. So they had the CD bar. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, it opened it up in in Thor: The Dark World. Space was very like there's this planet and there's that planet, and it's hard to travel between them. We need the Bifrost. Right. There's all this, right. and that, and in this, it's like no, <laughs> space is this yeah. big dumb dirty thing. It's basically, you know, like it's spaceships tra- are like cars. Yeah, you travel around them. It's it's yeah. traveling from planet to planet is like Indiana Jones traveling from country to country in Raiders of the Lost Ark. We'll do it through a quick little montage. Boom, you're there. And it's also about what's ha- happening. You know what I mean? Uh, that we'll never see or know about behind the scenes. Marvel space in Marvel movies, space in the MCU has been um, following this. Uh, blueprint ever since this yeah this this absolutely took it away from thor and said this is it even thor ragnarok follows this blueprint yeah agreed exactly um so all right this movie as i said made a lot of money at the box office which means it's time for us to play the box office top 10 game this is the game where i will describe the top 10 uh, movies, uh, the box office of August 1st, 2014. The guys are going to try to uh, guess what movie I'm describing. Uh, you ready to jump into the game here, guys? Oh, yeah. Who are? Let's do it. 
All right, here we go. Number 10 for the week of August 1st, 2014. A Chechen Muslim legally immigrates to Hamburg, where he gets caught in the international war on terror. <laughs> a story that needed to be told. Maybe it did, but... It was uh, Daddy Daycare 2. <laughs> Taking care of business. Uh, it looks like... Uh, oh. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh. Wow, he would... When did he die? He didn't have many movies after this, did he? Or wait, what year did he die? Does this, anyone remember off the top of their heads? No. 2016, I think he was in the year where all the celebrities died. Oh, God, yeah, that year. So, um, <laughs> between Bowie and Prince. Yeah. Uh, this is called A Most Wanted Man. Oh, I've heard of that. Which, which could, in fact, also be the, uh, the, the name of any sort of rom-com. <laughs> uh, number nine. Um, oh wow, a self-absorbed realtor enlists the help of his neighbor when he's suddenly left in charge of the granddaughter he never knew existed until his estranged son drops her off at his home. This stars uh, Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton. It's one of those like there was that Ugh. period of like ten years when they were making like old people rom coms. Yep. It's one of yep. those. Um, she she's got to uh, stay off stay off the grass. Like, I mean, kinda. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. The, the, yeah, the the title is basically like part of a sentence. It's called <laughs> "And So It Goes," <laughs> which made like me wonder. If it, well, it made me wonder if it was like Kurt Vonnegut related, but I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, that's what makes me think. Uh. Um, number eight. Oh, okay. A married couple wake up to discover that the erotic video they made the evening before has gone missing, leading to a frantic search for its whereabouts. We got ourselves a, uh, we got Cameron Diaz and, uh, uh, Jason Siegel. The cloud? What's that? The cloud? No, no, it's not. I thought this was Zach and Miri make a porno, but that's totally different. That was, yeah. That that was. Is yeah. it just sex tape? Or, sex no, tape, yeah, yeah, exactly. You got it, Josh. Sex tape. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> number seven, three, <laughs> three, three intertwining groups of people are left stranded in the streets, trying to survive the night. First, first, is this a comedy, a horror, <laughs> or a yeah. drama? And is it one night or just the night to survive the night? They're just trying to survive this night, this one night. This one particular. Oh, is it a purge? It is. It's a purge. It's got an urge to purge. <laughs> oh. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's an advertisement for some jewelry from Jared. It's called. <laughs> I fucked that up. It's called Jared there's, the Purge. <laughs> no, the new purge is actually called um, the Forever Purge. <laughs> Yes. That's the subtitle to that movie. And it sounds like a diamond tennis bracelet from Jared. <laughs> <laughs> the forever part. Yeah. <laughs> the I mean, they are blood diamonds, so. Yeah. Um, Got that going. This is Anarchy. The Purge Anarchy. So by not numbering mov- horror movies anymore, which has become, you know, a thing they just do, 
they yeah. don't number them. They just give them like the title and then like a thing. It makes it really confusing for me to try to figure out which one is which. Especially yeah. on all these franchises, which I don't watch. Like, but I mean, do you really know which one is Saw Four or Saw Seventeen? No, or Saw good, Three. Good or, point. Yeah. Good point. Well, uh, most of the Fast and Furious, I have no idea what order they came out in. Uh, the following is a movie I have watched. When Dusty learns that his engine is damaged and he may never race again, he joins. A forced fire unit to be trained as a firefighter. Cars 2? <laughs> Not cars. But planes. Oh, planes. Planes. Fire oh, and rescue. Yeah. Yes. Um, I yeah, Jude, I had a, a young child. I watched all these terrible, terrible cars spin-off movies. Um God they were bad. They were so bad. <laughs> um, number five. A growing nation of genetically evolved beings is threatened by a band of human survivors. <laughs> At first, I was going to say Lincoln. I was like, this sounds like Lincoln. Maybe it'll be, yeah. Uh, apes. Um... I hate every ape I see, from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Yeah, planet of the. Is Al which which one is what? this, Al? Um, I, I don't know. Rise, uh, planet of the apes. Rise. Nope, it is dawn. Not quest. Dawn. It's. I should have numbered these two, man. The Planet of the Apes reboots was really confusing because the naming conventions like made no sense as to far as far as like which one was first or second. Yeah. Um, number four. Wow, I forgot this movie existed. Okay. Um, <laughs> having endured a series of uh, labors, a Greek demigod has his life as a sword for hire tested when the king of Thrace and his daughter seek his aid in defeating a tyrannical warlord. Starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> um, I mean, it sounded like a Hercules movie. It's called Hercules. Hercules. Dwayne okay. The Rock Johnson played Hercules. I completely forgot that happened. Huh. The Greek Samoan. <gasps> yes. Yeah. I can dig it. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Opening this week up against Guardians. Um the chronicle of James Brown's rise from poverty to one of the most influential musicians in history, starring Chaz Chadwick Boseman. Wow. It's called Get On Up, right? It is. Get On Up. Chadwick Boseman is James Brown. Oh, he killed it. I have not seen this, but wow. And it's early James Brown years, so it was probably a little easier. But yeah, he did a great performance. That's a hard man to portray. Mm. Without being a caricature. Yeah. Oh, God, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Recently saw him in an interview. His First of all, his, his neckerchief was fucking off the chain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't talking nonsense, not in any way, and not in any sort of like weird stream of consciousness. But they answered every question. I'm James Brown, baby. Like, 
Well, why do you think you do? <laughs> she just wasn't getting it. I'm James Brown, baby. Here you go right now. I got a brand new bag. Mm-hmm. I want to get on the good foot. And we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> in light of the news interview. <laughs> I am James Brown. Hello, baby. I, I am, am James I am, Brown. <laughs> yes. I am James Brown. James Brown is Was James Brown dead. a Groot? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, coming in at number two this week, uh, a woman accidentally caught in a dark deal turns the tables on her captors and transforms into a merciless warrior <laughs> evolved beyond human logic. <laughs> this is a movie that's Why based that that's based off a of, basically the concept of this movie is like based off a common saying that's completely wrong. We got Scar Joe and Morgan Freeman. Oh, oh I, th- I always thought this oh. was her. What is this? Is this the one where like she was born to fight her? It's Lucy. Lucy. Yeah. Her yeah. was Joaquin Very Phoenix, right. where she plays Siri, basically. Yeah. Gotcha. I it's I've I remember seeing Guardians of the Galaxy after leaving this movie, and I always thought it was her. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's I make Lucy. them up in my brain. Well, yeah, because I mean, yeah, but um, her was yeah. pretty good. Her was that was yeah. a uh, what's his face the uh, being John Malkovich guy. Uh, what's his face? Um, what's the Spike director? Jones? Spike Jones. Her was Spike Jones. Lucy was. It's ba- it, basically it's it's you know we only use ten percent of our brains. The movie, <laughs> which is not true. We do not only use 10% of our brains. Some of us do, well, by choice. Yeah. And number one this week, a, a group of intergalactic... I'm on a quest to destroy the remaining 90% of my brain in, in a futile, futile attempt to to yeah. deal with the, the other people that are only using it's 10%. Another, it's another expression where it's, there's just so much to unpack. Oh, yeah. Yes. What are, they talking, what are you talking about? Ninety right, <laughs> percent, like use. What does it mean? Use. Use ten percent. Yeah. What does that mean? We don't use ninety. It's been proven. This guy <laughs> over here on the left, he does the shit. <laughs> All right, and number one, a group of intergalactic criminals must pull together to stop a fanatical warrior with plans to purge the universe. Uh, purge Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, yep. And that is our box office top 10. Mr. Alaric Weber. Hi. How are you Hi. doing now? <laughs> you ready? Are you ready to educate, to educate us on these uh, intergalactic riffraff? I will try. <laughs> Thank you, Al. Okay. Um, the original Guardians of the Galaxy team debuted in Marvel Superheroes number 18, January of 1969. Uh, they were created by Arnold Drake, penciled by Gene Colan. Um, and how many of the current Guardians of the Galaxy from this movie were on that team, Al? Zero. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. The original team consisted of Vance Astro, a psychokinetic mutant from Earth. Vance Astro. Uh, Martinex Tanaga, a crystalline being from Pluto. Uh, Captain Charlie 27, 
A Soldier from Jupiter, and Yondu Odonta. Yondu? A blue-skinned noble savage from Centauri Four. Oh, <laughs> noble savage is not a good phrase. <laughs> it's a very strange yeah, choice. This team existed in the 31st century. Um, I believe they were depicted as being the last of their respective races. Um, and they were primarily fighting reptilian aliens called the Badoon. Yeah. And who, so, um, so just side note, the uh, the uh, Sakarians, which were working for uh, Ronin in this movie, the Sakarians being Sakar being the planet that Jeff Goldblum rules in Thor Ragnarok. Um, right. The Sakarians were originally supposed to be Badoon, but apparently those there were rights issues. The Badoon might have been owned by Sony at this point. <laughs> Anyways, Al. Uh, despite, despite strong sales of their first appearance, the team would not be seen again for five years. Uh, first making appearances in other titles, uh, then getting their own short-lived series in 1976 in Marvel, Marvel Presents, then relegated again to guest spots until 1979. And they employed time travel to interact with such characters like uh, Captain America and Thing and so on. The Guardians were revived again in 1989 following the po popularity of Star Trek The Next Generation. Hmm. They hmm. thought, hey, space. Well, <laughs> the final frontier. Cool. Let's do this. Yeah. The Guardians' first self titled comic launched in June of 1990 and ran for 62 issues, with uh, writer artist Jim Valentino uh, giving the series an action oriented fun feel in contrast to the typical grim and gritty comics of the 90s. The team would take on new members and employ time travel to interact with present-day Marvel heroes. Um, in 2008, a new Guardians team was formed by the creative team of Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning using existing and previously unrelated characters debuting together as part of Marvel's Annihilation Conquest crossover storyline. And that, that is the modern team that we know now, right? The new uh, members, uh, the original members of the new team, included Star-Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, Phyla Vell, and Adam Warlock. Mm. Pete Best. Uh, isn't Philavel Drax's daughter? I think. Um, it's been I, years since I read that run. I forget. <laughs> It'd be funny if they would have. No, uh, Moon Dragon was Drax's daughter. Moon Dragon, thank you. Um. So this was Volume Two, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, that would exist for twenty-five issues from May two thousand eight to June two thousand ten. Again, canceled. Um, the Guardians would appear a couple times prior to 2014 and Star-Lord and Rocket were given solo series to tie in with the movie. Uh, real quick, real quick. Uh, Phi Lavelle is also known as Quasar. Um, yeah. Right? She was, there was a, 
it was yeah. unclear as to whether um in WandaVision uh what's her face was going to become Quasar or uh what was it? What was Photon? But, photon. Uh, yeah. or Photon. So but yes, Quasar. She's associated most with Captain Marvel at this point. Sorry, Al, continue. Right. Al, do you um, have the nineties lineup uh in your list of, of folks? Because I think Gamora and Drax are the only nineties or late eighties, early nineties folks. Adam Warlock was in there. Maybe five of them. Um, the the original nineties. Well, it included the the four original. Um, and there were uh there were three others that I can't quite remember. They weren't big names. Because that all tied into like Infinity Watch. I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's again. It's been a long time since I've read those comics. It's been five or six years. Yes, uh, Drax and Gamora did tie in um, to Infinity Watch at some point, um, but they were not part of the Guardians team until 2008. Yeah. Uh, the popularity of the movie led to a full revival of the team. Um, the title is currently in Volume Six, running from March 2020 to present. Um, the Guardians would see several new members over the years, including Mantis, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, Kitty Pride, Thing, that's Ben Grimm Thing, um, Ant-Man, Nova, Doctor Doom, and Cosmo the Space Dog. Woo! Who we do get a cameo from. Yep. Although he does so, not appear to be sentient in this one. Maybe. I, I always thought he was like a, is that how you pronounce it? The Russian dog would. Oh, yeah. It was definitely modeled after Leica, the Russian yeah. space dog. Modeled for But uh, Cosmo doesn't speak. He is a telepath. Mm. So he very well could have been communicating telepathically with Rocket when we Good see him. Good point, yeah. Um, so the characters from this movie, uh, Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, first appeared Who? in Marvel... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, first appeared in Marvel Preview number four, January of 1976, created by Steve Englehart and Steve Gann, a human spar toy hybrid, mostly known for his dual elemental guns, jet boots, and space helmet. Um, Gamora, created by writer artist Jim Starlin, first appeared in Strange Tales number 180, June of 75. He, incidentally, is the creator of Thanos. Mm. The adopted daughter of Thanos and the last of her species, the Zen Huberis. Gamora. Uh, I was going to say, uh, we we skipped uh, Star-Lord's father in the comics as Jason of Spartax. So he's technically the, the heir to the Empire. Yeah, thus, thus the Star Lord yeah. thing, yeah. Um, he also, in the comics, uh, he had some enhanced physical abilities because of his alien physiology, his half-alien physiology. Uh, Gamora has superhuman strength and speed, accelerated healing, and is an elite com- combatant. Uh did anyone else? Uh, I ran through these kind of quickly. Did anyone have any Gamora points from? Uh, she was the deadliest woman in the galaxy. I think was her title mm. in the comics. I don't know if they say that in the movie. 
Um, they mentioned that she could overcome anybody in the. But yeah, I think that was like her. Galaxy. Her, she was notor. Her notoriety was that that she right. was the deadliest woman. Um, Drax the Destroyer, formerly Arthur Douglas, created by Jim Starlin and <laughs> Mike Friedrich, first appeared in the Invisible Iron Man number fifty-five, February of nineteen seventy-three. Arthur and his family are attacked on Earth by a spaceship piloted by Thanos. Um, Thanos' father, whose name was Mentor, and the Titan Kronos capture Arthur's spirit and place it in a powerful new body. Rechristened Drax the Destroyer with the sole purpose of killing Thanos. He's literally made from the Earth. They make him out of mud, like a... Like, like an golem. ancient uh, like story golem. kind of thing. It was exactly. it was his his run in uh, the Infinity run of comics is really interesting. Uh, Arthur, what was his last name? Douglas. Arthur Douglas on Earth plays a motherfucking saxophone. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> there are some really funny shots of him playing saxophone in his memory. That's my favorite thing about his character, Sax Man from Earth. Now the Destroyer. Um, Drax has superhuman strength, speed, and stamina, regeneration, and is a skilled swordsman and combatant. Rocket Raccoon, created by Bill Mantlow and Keith Giffen, first appeared in Marvel Preview number 7, summer of 1976. Inspired by the Beatles song, Rocky Raccoon. Mm-hmm. In 1982, there was a story featuring Rocket in The Incredible Hulk number 271, the story titled, Now somewhere in the black holes of Sirius Major, there lived a young boy named Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, a raccoon half-worlder, Rocket is an expert marksman, weapons specialist, master tech, master tactician, accomplished space pilot, and genius level intellect. Woo! Uh, Groot. Created- uh, who, who created Rocket in the comics? Was that uh, the High Evolutionary? Uh, I didn't get, good question. I didn't get there. I think so. I think it's the High Evolutionary because his whole planet. I think there's like an otter that's his girlfriend. They have there's a really weird <laughs> early Rocket Raccoon run where it's like all furry animals that are real cute and deadly. Huh. Well, that's one of the otters, so uh, you could be correct. Uh, Groot <laughs> was created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. First appeared in Tales to Astonish number thirteen, November of nineteen sixty. That is impressive that he's been around so long. But I do want to point out that it's awesome it took four guys to come up with a talking tree. Yeah, he was a bad guy, right? Initially? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Originally, yeah. Uh, the original Groot was a tree-like alien invader intending to capture Earthlings for experimentation. Mulch. <laughs> Much like our own trees today. A different group would appear in 2006 in Nick Fury's Howling Commandos, then join the Guardians of the Galaxy in 2006. So Groot was just one of the the trees in the happening (laughs) with Mark (laughs) Wahlberg. 
Groot is of the species Flora Colossus from Planet X, whose language is nearly impossible to understand. Due to the stiffness of their larynxes, their speech sounds like they are simply repeating the phrase, I am Groot. Um, the Flora Colossi pass on the photonic knowledge of their race by means of a highly advanced educational photosynthesis, making them a race of geniuses. Uh, our Groot, in particular, was gifted with a tremendous grasp of quasi-dimensional superpositional engineering. Uh, Groot has superhuman strength, stamina, endurance, and senses. Groot can manipulate plants and is apparently immortal, as after seemingly dying several times, can regenerate from even a single twig. Ronan the Accuser. <laughs> First of all, I hate the character. I know he's been around a while, but that's got to be the stupidest name for a villain. <laughs> Ronan the Accuser? The Accuser. Well, it's like that's Steve, that's Steve the Insinuator. <laughs> yeah, well, no, fuck I mean, him. That, that, that's essentially the Cree name for like, like judges. They're accusers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the accusers were Cree military governors and jurists. So, like, right, so yeah, kind, signed of, kind of like there was, they, there was no confusion. I think it was kind of based off like inquisitors, <laughs> like that's what they were going for. If you met a dude, okay, take all that stuff away, and you made a dude, you met a dude, and everybody in the bar says that's his nickname. Oh, the accuser. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like he's real judgy. There was no question as to what. Yeah. He's like all the assholes at the Zod cocktail party. With <laughs> There's that draw. Uh, Ronan was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. First appeared in Fantastic Four number 65, August of 1967. He is the supreme accuser of the Kree Empire. Uh, and as we said, the accusers are Kree military governors and jurists. Uh, Ronan was commonly depicted as an adversary of the Fantastic Four, Avengers, and Guardians of the Galaxy, would later become a more noble and heroic figure, joining several superhero teams and marrying the inhuman Princess Crystal. <laughs> That's they right. They finally made his birthday a holiday. Hmm. <laughs> um, oh. He, uh, oh God, yeah, he, he used to fight with, uh, what's the, the, the Mohawked group that the X-Men used to fight in space. Oh yeah. Well, I remember when there was like a union between their groups. There's, there's an interesting line of stories um, with that. Yeah. He's an interesting character because he is always depicted. He's like Dr. Doom, but in space, mm. like he is bad and he only has his people's interest in mind, but he is willing to compromise to defeat Thanos or whatever, you know, the cancer verse or whatever thing that's coming up. Um, were the Mohawk dudes uh, the Centauri, like Yondu? Yes, I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, the one I remember the most was Blue. Yeah, had, had the red Mohawk. I think his name was Gladiator, but it could be wrong. Yeah, yeah Gladiator is one of them. Yeah. Um, Ronan's primary weapon is the Warhammer-like Accuser Cosmerod called the Universal Weapon. <laughs> the device can absorb... And fire cosmic energy, manipulate matter, generate force fields, control gravity, and create time motion displacement fields. And he always had that dumb helmet too, right? 
That was always his look. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. What was the weapon called? What were the first few words? Cosmerod. 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 That's a real um, like. <laughs> that's that's Italian's man connection right there. He's got. A... And I always love when they're searching for um, items of power that seem they seem like nothing compared to the stuff they already have. I'm like that hammer's pretty cool. Steve, the insinuator. <laughs> <laughs> um, real quick, some other characters. Um, so Yondu um, would show up in the present timeline. Um, he was uh, um, he was involved with uh, Peter Quill uh, in the fashion we see in the movie, um, but he. It would turn out that he was the great, 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 great something grandfather of um, the Yondu from the original Guardians team. Mm. Well, from from the thirty first century. Okay. Yeah. Can I just say, and I know I'm not alone. Yondu, Yondu is one of the best characters in the MCU. Oh yeah, yeah. Michael Rooker brought a lot to this dude. Oh yeah, I mean he, he he's never lazy. He never phones it in. But wow, yeah, yeah, great character. Um, since there are a few more, I just uh, went with first appearances. Uh, Nebula first appeared in Avengers number two hundred fifty-seven, July of nineteen eighty-five. Uh, Korath the Pursuer first appeared <laughs> in. That's what I meant. Quasar number 32, March of 1992. Um, the Nova Corps uh, was first seen in Fantastic Four number 205, April of 1979. Yeah. Well, and just real fast, the Nova Corps is basically Marvel's answer to the Green Lantern Corps as yes. far as yeah. in the comics. Yeah. Just a helmet instead of a ring. Mm-hmm. Um, Garthon Saul... Uh, in the comics, he would be known as uh, Supernova. Uh, he was of the Nova Corps, but he went bad or something like that. He first appeared in Avengers number 301, 1988. What, wait, wait, was that John C. Riley? No, no. no. That's, um, or Peter Serafinowitz. Serif- that one. Serafinowitz. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, uh, what, was, what was John C. Riley's? Name something day. Mm, it was. I, <laughs> I have to look through to find out. I didn't. Uh, I didn't write anything down about him, but I did see his name pop up. So the name, at least, is from the the comics. So mm. just a minor Nova oh, character. That's cool. Yeah, that just makes things a little better. But it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, you're, you're right. He played it perfectly. Yeah, good good character. Roman Day. Okay. That's his name. Uh-huh. And uh, Tanelier Tavon, the collector, first appeared in The Avengers number 28, May of 1966. He is uh, an eternal, right? Or a, what is he? I forget. Mm. Um, <laughs> well, he's. he's- <laughs> you got something now? 
Um, I I have it on uh, Safari somewhere. I kept these tabs open just in case. Uh, let's see. He oh, he is an elder of the universe. That's what he is. So like the gardener. He controls the power primordial to create virtually unlimited effects. Interesting. Uh, um, yeah, he's yeah. one of the elders of the universe. Like the Grandmaster is another one too. Um, All right. So yeah. So basically, he got. He, basically, he's so old that he got bored and decided to take up a hobby yeah. of collecting things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ego is one of the elders of the living planet too. Yeah. Or elders of the you know whatever. So not well. Wait, wait. I mean, so is ego a celestial? In our MCU, yes. In the Marvel comics, he is uh, an elder. Gotcha. Okay. These are the people that Thanos stole the Infinity Stones from. A few of them, at least. Yeah. In the Infinity Gauntlet in the nineties. All right. Um, They all have uh, fun names like uh, architect, astronomer, challenger, contemplator. Father Time is one of them. Judicator, uh, profiteer, runner, run, runner. <laughs> um, so it like their names are their occupations or something. So no spoilers for the Eternals. This is what I expect them to kind of shift the Eternals and these guys together to kind of answer some of these questions about the differences, like ego being a celestial but not a celestial. Mm. In the big way that celestials are big, right? But yeah, okay, yeah. So that's that's something which we will, of course, explore more in Guardians Two and Eternals, and eventually we get there. Um. So is that all we got then, Al? Uh, that was uh, that was all I wrote down. All righty, thank you very much, sir. Uh, that brings us to the thank film you. production itself. Um. Guardians of the Galaxy was first announced at Comic-Con 2012, um, directed by James Gunn, who we have spoken about before. See our uh, super episode. Um, It was directed by James Gunn, written by James Gunn, and Nicole Perlman also has a writing credit. She uh, was enrolled in the Marvel uh, script writing program in 2009, and she basically um, people in that program were given the opportunity to take um, properties which weren't being developed. And she chose Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, her original draft was very hewed a lot closer to the comics. Um, uh, Star-Lord was the son of Jason um, uh, in her version. Um, basically... What happened was they they brought Joss Whedon in. This is in between Avengers and uh, Age of Ultron. Uh, she brought Joss Whedon in, um, and uh, he said, "Well, we've got to take this out. We've got to." He he basically changed it around and said, "Make it a lot weirder." And then um, at that point, James Gunn came in, and Joss Whedon dropped out of the rewrite. Though some of his work, uncredited, does remain in the script by hmm. accounts. Um, but, uh, James Gunn did a, rewrote the entire thing top to bottom, um, with just bits and pieces of, uh, bits and pieces of Nicole Perlman's and, uh, Joss Whedon's, um, contributions left in. 
I, I think the removal of Spartax really, really helped shape and and limit the scope of the Marvel Universe in a positive way mm. because they are the they are the superpower in the galaxy, if not the universe. Mm. And have having Earth be less important would have been a bad thing, I think. And having Xandar be like a, they're like the sheriffs of the outskirts of the universe makes makes some sense too. There are interesting choices that they use that really limited the scale, um, rather than just blowing the universe open to Marvel comic book size, where it's like limitless. Yeah, yeah, that's that was a definite definite uh, decision they made, and I think it, like you said, I think it really. Really helped out a lot. Because um, I, I can't imagine an in-game and an Infinity War with, you know, Spartax or even the Nova Corps being involved. Like, that, we'll get there. But, like, having these otherworldly military forces fighting Thanos on Earth would have been weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It would have been. Yeah. Um, so, uh, all right. Yes. This uh, we've got in our cast... Chris Pratt as Star-Lord. Um, Star-Lord originally, apparently um, James Gunn had a lot of trouble casting this. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was up for the part, as was Zachary. He, he looks the part, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Zachary Levi was up for this part, and James Gunn almost cast Glenn Howerton uh, from, wow. from Always Sunny, which <laughs> that would have been interesting. Would have been bonkers, but cool. It would have been a cool choice. Yeah, yeah, it would have been really cool. Um, he initially declined Chris Pratt like multiple times, right? Isn't that the story? Like he said no to every uh, reading that he did. Like nah, nah, nah. Right. Well, no, no. So what happened was, yeah. So he he was almost he almost cast Glenn Howerton, but his casting director convinced um, him to to uh, audition Chris Pratt for the role, and um, um, he was. He was not impressed with Chris Pratt's work, but then during the audition, um, Chris Pratt blew him away, and he was basically like, "Okay, yeah, that's our Star Lord." Yeah, I, I think there were two. There were uh, he got a second run at the at the role. Mm. I, I remember hearing a discussion with the the casting person talking about that, saying like, "We almost passed on this guy," which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, although, yeah, again, I think Chris Pratt or uh, Glenn Howerton would have been a really interesting choice. It would have been different, but yeah. I think he could have worked. Um, Zoe saw, oh, and Chris Pratt, of course, um, uh, he'd been, he'd been uh, kicking around the uh, lower, uh, lower reaches of the, uh, the, uh, um, of, you know, like uh, doing a lot of like guest shots. He was in the OC for a little while. Um, he, uh, his big break was Parks and Rec playing Andy Dwyer, um, which he was great. He was great in Parks and Rec. Everything else about Chris Pratt aside, Andy Dwyer is a great character (laughs) and, um, Andy Dwyer and, uh, uh, Aubrey Plaza (laughs) there. It's basically what happens if a cat and a dog get married. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, he still had, he had, uh, the best the best, I think, the best line of Parks and Rec in general, and uh, Michael Schur said it was his favorite line of the entire series that um, Chris Pratt ad libbed, which is when um, when uh, 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 what's her face um, was sick, 
sometimes. Yes. He was lo- he was looking it favorite. up. Yeah, he was he was looking up and he, sa- and he says it says I I just googled your symptoms and it says you may have network connectivity issues. <laughs> uh, so all right, uh, Zoe's <laughs> every summer he used to go to his best friend's house, his best friend's cabin on a lake. His friend's name was David. He's like. We just got to be like, you know, go to Camp David, talk and work it out. Ben's like, how do you know about Camp David? How do you know about Camp David? <laughs> uh, Zoe Saldana as Gamora. Um, let's see. Uh, she started out doing guest roles on TV. Um, then uh, her... Uh, Let's see. Here she was in Get Over It, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, she was in The Terminal. Um, of course, she <laughs> she played. Uh, let's see. She was Uhuru, Uhura, Uhuru. She was Uhura in uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Uh, she was in Avatar, where she played a blue lady instead of a green lady. Um, she was. Uh, Book of Life. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she she voiced Captain Kaleno in the My Little Pony movie. <laughs> um, so uh, she's one of those people that I don't actually know. I can't remember what she actually ever looks like. I always just picture her as being green or blue. I I still picture her as Uhura. Mm. She was. Uh, I, I mean to the most true to life representation of her. Yeah. I honestly, I watched the first one of those once I watched into darkness and then I kind of just gave up because I don't know. That's not my star Trek. <laughs> it's just not, um, Dave. Ba- no, yeah, I don't think it was supposed to be the, yeah, it's yeah. I, uh, the JJ Abrams star Treks are not, Something I particularly enjoy. Uh, Dave Bautista as Drax the Destroyer. Of course, he was a professional wrestler. This was kind of his big movie break. Um, Let's see. Uh, Since then, um, he is, uh, let's see. Oh, well, let's see. He was in Smallville. He was in an episode of Smallville. Um, He was in uh, Spectre, which... (laughs) Wait, has Spectre been out yet? That came out, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I th- wasn't that the first? Oh, that was the first one. Yeah. No, no. I'm thinking of uh, of uh, two. Uh, no time, time to die. That's right. Yeah. No Spectre was the first one. That's right. I'm very excited. About he was that. in Spectre. Yes. Um. And uh, he. Oh, Army of the Dead. Um. He's apparently going to be in Knives Out too. Um. <laughs> Even more knives. Knives Out was a great movie. He was in Blade Runner. Oh my god! Oh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. That's right. He was absolutely incredible in it, and just said so little. But yeah, physically, dude is a great actor. Yeah, yeah, strangely good. Um, I think yeah. honestly, I mean, he's the second most. Uh, I, I'd say he's probably the second most uh, successful pro wrestler turned actor after The Rock. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't see Stone Cold Steve Austin in the remake of The Godfather, did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, although John Cena 
John Cena has oh, yeah, been doing pretty well. I was himself. just going to say, John Cena is very entertaining. Um, he, I don't think he's as successful as Dave Batista, though. No, but he's he's starting to get there after after yeah. the Suicide Squad. Well, he's getting there. Friend of China. Um, yeah. And uh, I read an article recently where um, he basically said Drax. Oh, yeah, because it was when people were suing Disney, not specifically ScarJo. He wasn't talking about anyone, but he, he was talking about how getting the role of Drax save, saved his life. Mm-hmm. Like he was applying for jobs at grocery stores and restaurants and shit when he got this deal. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he was almost completely destitute. So his attitude, again, he wasn't speaking to anyone particularly, but he's just like, I'm extremely grateful. Disney yeah. saved my life. You know, it's it's interesting. I've, I read an interview with him recently where he was, I forget what role he was talking about. He took a role recently that that is really like playing to his chops as an actor. And he was saying, it's like, it's totally different from being Drax in a Marvel movie where all I do is say stupid stuff constantly so yeah. he's got a he's got a complex view on his role um as this character and his place in the the community of actors in the marvel universe he threatened to quit and not come back when they fired james gunn he was the first one to back up james gunn yeah that yeah. was like a prominent person well and yeah. it, it's interesting because he didn't play drax in the uh in in what if either he's one of the few who didn't and yeah it's and then complained that they didn't ask him. They claimed they did ask him. I, yeah, I read about that. And they they reached out to his agents. They didn't reach out to him directly because mm-hmm. that was the, the there was a whole big to do about that. But basically, they said like we reached out to everybody the, through the manner that we had to reach out to them. Um, yeah. The thing that's kind of frustrating about that is he did ads for Disney Plus mm. that were aired along with the running of What If. As as himself, basically playing playing a dude in a canoe watching streaming TV. But how frustrating is that to advertise for this thing and be like, "Dude, you guys never asked me to do the cartoon thing. I love playing this role." Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, did we mention that he was uh, in Dune? Oh yeah. Oh, that's Holy right. Crap. Bautista's in Dune. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, On the Harkonnen. Yeah. Uh, so all right, we got uh, Vin Diesel as Groot. <laughs> Yep. Um, Vin Diesel, uh, best known, of course, for the Fast and the Furious at this point. Um, he, his first film role was in Awakenings in 1990. The, yeah. Um, the Robin Williams. Yes, exactly. The Robert De Niro. Yeah. yeah Williams wow. and De Niro. Yeah. That was his first role. It was, he played an, he was, it was an extra role. Um, he he then it, yeah they, it won all kinds of Oscars. It's a fantastic movie based yeah. on true story. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, but then, um, Vin Diesel ma- wrote, directed, and produced a short film called Multifacial, which um, Steven Spielberg saw somehow. <laughs> what do you mean somehow? At three in the morning, <laughs> some sent him a link. <laughs> right. Um, and so he get, he cast him in a small role in Saving Private Ryan. I think we all forget sometimes Vin Diesel was in Saving Private Ryan. Um, yeah. Uh, from there, let's see. He got um, he got uh, he got uh, voice work as the Iron Giant. Uh, he was in Boiler Room. Then he was in uh, Pitch Black, uh, The Fast and the Furious. Triple uh, X. I, I sometimes forget Triple X existed. That's a that's a franchise that died. 
Um, yeah, pitch black, right? Yeah, are, pitch black. Oh no, that's that's a different franchise. The, I just always get them yeah. all mixed up because yeah. it's just Vin Diesel playing Vin Diesel. Being Vin Diesel, yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember uh, visiting my mom once down in Green Valley, um, and she was like, "Triple X is on the HBO. Do you do you want to watch it?" It's like. <laughs> And I think that was the second time she had brought up a, a Vin Diesel movie. Um, I, I think the previous, not very long before that, we had watched Pitch Black um, together. And after she brought up Triple X, it's like, Mom, do you do you have a thing for Vin Diesel? And she watched a little bit. He's a handsome dude. He's got yeah. a cool voice. It's the way it's the way people of a certain age can find a, a Jason Bourne movie at any time. On TV, uh, um, Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon. Uh, oh, hang real, real quick. I wanted to mention uh, as I was going through this, uh, Vin Diesel was the voice of Groot in that uh, Wreck It Ralph movie. Oh yes, yes, Wreck It Ralph breaks the internet. Vin Diesel also insisted on doing all of Groot's voice work for all of the foreign um, versions of this, yeah. all of the uh, foreign language versions of. Guardians of the Galaxy. So no matter what language you're watching Guardians of the Galaxy in, it is Vin Diesel yeah. as Groot. Yoso as Groot. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, yes, you know, right. I got to give him a little bit of credit for that because I still little? consider this to be the easiest paycheck in Hollywood history. Oh my God. I believe it's genius level intellect. <laughs> yeah. For real though. His idea or his agent's idea. Or or what? But that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That contract negotiation. Well, yeah, but <laughs> also like he only had to say incredible. "I am Groot" like five times, but he insists on doing it over and over again for every single yeah. line reading. Yeah. Every time he's in a movie, every time he's in anything, it's he goes in to re-record. Yeah, to get pay, and get I'm sure there's again. enough "I am Groots" out there that they don't need to, but he still does it. Oh, after he said it once or twice, they didn't need him anymore. Yeah. I disagree because I think he reads it um, differently every time. But yeah, but, but, but he could have gone in exactly and done like he could have gone in and done thirty minutes of "I Am Groot" in different ways, and they could have just reused any of those. But he does yeah. it yeah. fresh for each one. Yeah, give us an angry tired, "I Am Groot" a or a sad "I Am point. Groot." Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a, yes. Exactly what it is. Brilliant. Yeah. So, all right. Bradley Cooper uh, as Rocket Raccoon. Um, his first uh, role was in uh, as a guest star in Sex in the City. His first film role uh, was Wet Hot American Summer, which is yeah. a great, great movie. Well, um, yeah. The movie's wonderful, and his character and portrayal is perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he... Uh, First really got noticed in Alias, uh, which he had a recurring role for five years. Wedding Crashers. And then, of course, his the, what put him into the A-list was The Hangover. Um, you know, since then, Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, American Sniper. And, of course, <laughs> he, um, he, he's uh, halfway to an EGOT due to... Uh, a star is born. He got Grammys and Oscars for Shallow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let us not forget the A-Team. Oh, A-Team. That's right. He played uh, Face, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Temple Tupac. Yep. Uh, so, 
Um, then uh, let's see. We've got <laughs> Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser. Lee Pace, of course. Um, if you say so. Yeah, no, Lee Pace. Um, no, I know. <laughs> I don't know who he is. Uh, I love Lee Pace. He's one of my favorite television actors. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, Lee Pace is, Is uh, let's see. What's he on, uh, Grey's Anatomy or something? No, he was, uh, on, he was in Wonderfalls. He was great in that. Uh, Pushing Daisies. Um, Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, Halt and Catch Fire, he is absolutely incredible. The dude is the, the best part of that show. Him and the chick from... Uh, Transformers, the newer Transformers, Mackenzie Davis yeah. and Scoot McNary. That is a cool show about like technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That, well, that no one watched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lee Pace, he, he was also, <laughs> let's see. He, for the he Elvis pl- in 1957. <laughs> uh, let's see. He was in Lincoln. He played Thranduil in the, uh, um, Hobbit, the Hobbit movies. Um, he is currently playing Cleon. Um, in the foundation show on Apple. Oh yeah. He's huh. really cool as that role. Um, he plays Heinrich Himmler in robot chicken. <laughs> Which <laughs> What? Yes. <laughs> he plays oh, Heinrich Himmler. Himmler in robot chicken. <laughs> Himmler. Okay. Let's see some images of the guy. Not all just, uh, he's uh, all eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he is. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't recognize this guy. No. Yeah, Michael Rooker as Yondu. Of course, we've discussed Michael Rooker several times previously. Karen Gillan as uh, or Gillian Gillan. I don't know as Nebula. Gillen. She was uh, one of the doctors. Uh, this just looks like Peter. Joe. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, one of our producers. Okay, uh, leap, leap pace. Yeah, Karen Gillan as. Uh, as Nebula, she is, uh, yeah, what, like you said, she played Amy Pond on uh, oh, Doctor right. Who. Um, one of his companions. Uh, yeah, one of the Doctor Who companions. Um, I like Karen Gillan a lot. Uh, she's. Uh, Same. She killed it on Doctor Who. She was really great. Um, yeah. um, she's fantastic as Nebula, a dynamic, important character. And a lot of times you hear about celebrities like, I'm not going to wear a mask the whole movie. I'm not going to wear a costume the whole movie. And in the MCU, you've never seen her real face. And that's just badass for her. So well, and method, she, method acting. Yeah. And, she shaves and, her yeah. head every time she comes in to do Nebula. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's also, of course, in the Jumanji sequels. Um, Isn't she super Scottish? She's, she's, is she <laughs> yes. Scottish? She has a very thick accent. Yes. Yeah. And she, it's weird to hear her in real life, like more so than like Tom Holland and people like that, where I'm like, holy shit, you hide your accent. Like it's not just doing a voice. It's like, she does yeah. such a good American accent, is Nebula. They look just like us. You can't even <laughs> tell. <laughs> I'm not joking. Watch out. Uh, um, <laughs> um, that was a Centauri accent. Oh, okay. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Al. <laughs> <laughs> South or West Centauri. It just happens to sound very American. Uh, we've got uh, Jaman Honsu as Korath. We've talked about him numerous times. Um, so he's a he's a Cree, right? No, no. Yes. Wait, wait. Is yeah. Korath? Yeah, yeah. Korath. He's in Captain Marvel, but I was just making sure because, and I think it's cool. But they're one of the the species that have uh, multiple races, like we do. 
uh, yeah. uh, on Earth. Yeah. There are pink and cool. blue and black Cree. Yes. Right. In, yeah, in the MCU. That are actual Cree. They're not just li- people that live on Xandar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Pretty, yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, John C. Riley as Roman Day. Um, John, I, Has John C. Riley come up on this before? I don't feel like we've done him before. I think so. <laughs> Dr. Steve Brule. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Dewey Cox. <laughs> Um, yeah, oh Rick, my God, Dewey Cox! <laughs> yeah, Dewey. <laughs> what the whole thing about smoking pot with uh with a uh, Craig um Robinson? Oh, no, with uh shit. Tim Meadow, not Tim Meadow. Craig. No, it was Tim. But yeah, so you like you ain't ready for this, and they keeps escalating to cocaine. It's just perfect. I love oh, no, her. It, like, she's it, like, you're. F- yeah, go ahead. Oh no, maybe it is Tim Meadows that he does that with. Yeah, where he's like, where he's like, you don't want to smoke it. Why does it make you addictive? It's not addictive. He's a, I don't want it to freak me. It makes sex even better. <laughs> it's the cheapest drug there is. I it's not habit for me. I kind of think I do want to try it. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe I want to try it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh. And then of course, step brothers. Um. Uh, but I mean, his big break was uh, was uh, probably uh, Boogie Nights. Yeah, for for sure. Um, he's John C. Riley. Glenn Close as Nova Prime. <laughs> my favorite, yeah, one of my favorite Dewey Coxes. He's arguing with Kristen Wiig, who's his young teen wife. She's belittling him. He's like, I think I'm doing. I think I'm doing all right for a 15 year old with a house and a kid. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, um, Glenn Close as Nova Prime Glenn Close and her 72 words <laughs> which she spoke in this movie <laughs> she looked great her and John Riley in these roles are kind of befuddling considering that they never return yeah they well, see, I think no, but I think they're coming but I think no, Nova Corps Th- I think Thanos killed them all when he got I think this so too. Infinity when Stone. Yeah. So uh, James Gunn has been pretty adamant about not using uh, Nova as a character in these movies. Because um, that's the the regular question. Because you have the Nova Corps and you have Xandar and all that stuff. Yeah. But in the Nova storyline, Nova Prime lives in his helmet. He is the last remaining member of the Nova Corps. So it would be really cool to have Glenn Close as the voice of Nova Prime in, yeah. you know, Timothy Oliphant's head or whoever becomes Nova. Because mm. it was like a Green Lantern thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It, it, it would transfer. And well, and there's a young Nova in the Young Avengers. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of possibility for Glenn Close to just become the voice mm. uh, in someone's head. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> But John C. Riley's totally dead. Yeah, John C. Riley is one hundred percent dead. Um, Benicio <laughs> del Toro as the collector, um, and we got Josh Brolin as Thanos. His first so appearance as Thanos. First, uh, yeah, fin- yeah, finally. Um, and with the, with the actual actor, I mean, yeah, 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 with Josh Brolin, with uh, a different voice actor and everything too, and a different. There was a different guy in a Thanos mocap. At yeah. one point in Avengers yeah. too, right? Um, well, yeah, in, in the first in, in Avengers, in the first Avengers movie, yeah. It was a different dude. Um, yeah, but we got Josh Brolin right here is Thanos. Um, I'd forgotten how much Thanos we had in this movie. 
I forget how much as well. They set up an awful lot. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, and Alexis Denisoff was back as the other. Um, Ophelia Lovabond as Karina. That's the collector's servant. Um, Peter Serafinowitz as um, Denarian. Um, so, oh, and Laura Haddock as uh, Meredith Quill, um, who yeah. also was who played Steve Rogers' date in the first Avenger. So people do theorize that she was not human and was in fact living on earth as a, uh, as an alien, but that's hasn't been confirmed by anybody. Hmm. Yeah. James Gunn has been pretty adamant that she was human when she died. Yeah. Um, I, I, he has lately been just like batting down rumors on, uh, Twitter. It's been pretty funny to watch. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of Easter eggs in this movie, like a lot, a lot, uh, more than in your standard MCU movie. Um, well, and there is one that has yet to be found. All the, wait, wait, wait. But that last one, he said, um, I think that last one was found. I think he, he confirmed on Twitter at some point that it was, and it was the thing with the, um, with the, the uh, locations, the locations. Yeah. I think really? that I think that was the one that he was previously saying hadn't been found. I thought that it was still out there. I thought that there's one that he's like, nope, nobody's found it yet. Maybe but that that may be the case. Maybe there's that one out there. So I mean, um, I don't know. Do we want to do the Easter eggs now or after we do the movie? We can do them after. Okay. Yeah, we'll do them afterwards. So all right, um, that's about Especially it for. Especially if they had answer any questions or relate to anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that about covers our uh, production. Um, I grabbed a couple quick um, uh, bad reviews of it, which were by uh, ac- these are actual um, newspaper reviews or website reviews when it came out um, in 2014. Matthew Lacona of uh, Variety says the dialogue is weak, the story is paint by numbers, the characterization is short on personality and heavy on chuckle fishing. But for better or worse, Chris Pratt throws himself headlong into his play to become a new generation's Han Solo. Also with Zoe Saldana, <laughs> <laughs> which was why I got that. What, one. Was the, what was his line? The joking what? Chuckle or, fishing. Chuckle fishing? Yes. That that is now my official name for comedy, stand-up comedy. <laughs> chuckle fishing. Yeah. Comedy. Yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna start calling you Chucklefish. I'm yeah, awesome. Awesome. The nickname I've been waiting for. Yeah. Um Kyle Smith of All the my New- life I've had Cheech. I don't, I don't even seem like Cheech Marin at all. <laughs> but now it's Chucklefish. <laughs> Uh, um, Kyle Smith of the New York Post wrote Guardians of the Galaxy brings to mind some of the most unforgettable sci-fi event movies of the past 30 years alas those movies are Howard the Duck and Green Lantern (laughs) which that's (laughs) wow I mean it's definitely the first movie that's reminded me of uh, Howard the Duck in the MCU because he's in it yeah because he's in it yeah Seth Green by the way plays Howard the Duck in the uh, post credits scene um that's fantastic and he repeats that line and yeah it's perfect <laughs> so all right because that was in the original right you let it lick your face that's disgusting oh yeah yeah that was in the howard the yeah. duck movie yeah. yeah 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 i thought yes yeah okay why do you let it lick you like that mm-hmm. yeah that's <laughs> right, right yeah so um guys are you ready to jump into the movie 
I just need that guy's eye first. <laughs> uh, here we go. This is Guardians of the Galaxy. We open on Earth, 1988. Peter Quill is a child listening to an awesome mix on his Walkman in a hospital. His mother's deathly ill. She gives him a wrapped gift, then she dies. And we've mentioned it before, but the importance of that Walkman and at that age, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not just his mom's mixes, but like that was a prized possession for so many of us. Oh, yeah. Walkmans were very important um, in the late 80s. And this this movie does a great job. The music. I'm going to bring up the music a thousand times in this movie. But the music is the first thing that we hear or experience in this movie. We get it. It is the synthesizers at the beginning of that song. Playing I'm Not In Love. Right. And with the heartbeat sound behind it, that thump, 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 thump. It right. is such a cool way to start a Marvel movie. It comes well, it comes before the Marvel um it comes before anything. It comes before the yeah. Marvel logo. And um you know it's not it, it's actually the same for everyone, but um my mother passed early on in my life and nothing connects me more to her or to her memory than music. Yeah. Uh, memories we have together songs i heard her play all the time stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it's the perfect thing yondu can't take that like nobody can take that you know yeah yeah mom and i used to sing that in the car i i literally watching this movie in the movie theater i mentioned i just went in by myself on a whim to go see it five minutes into this movie i'm like weeping in my chair and i'm like god son of a bitch I i expected a a talking raccoon in a tree. Why am I, I crying at this woman dying of cancer? <laughs> I cried at a couple weird times. Yeah. But yeah, right off the bat, this movie hooks you emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't take pride. I, you know, I didn't ball. But when you compare it to other MCU movies that preceded it, there was no, there was nothing close to the emotional reaction as to what Galaxy did. Yeah. yeah. This, this is to me the, the emotional like peak of the entire MCU. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, all right. Um, in his grief, Peter runs outside, where he immediately gets abducted by aliens. <laughs> because that's how it goes down, and I'm not being ironic or a joke. Yeah. Well, and they, at they just this, take you and then bounce. bounce. <laughs> and this is how, and this is when they hit us with the Marvel logo. Yeah. And the yeah. and the Marvel music, the fanfare, and all that stuff. Like, what a cool da 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 da. Like, just yeah. the musical of this like we haven't had any orchestration until this moment and they updated it so like at one point there's a flash and you can see black panther's staff yeah yes it's it's the new marvel logo like they're really opening up the world i think at this point um i love them so much i don't know if anybody else uh this is a new thing that just happened I, i texted you guys about this but did anybody else watch the imax version on their tv at home yes yeah, I watched um, it. Half of it, yes. It's uh, such an incredible difference. I think some of these space shots and like the opening logos and things were done it, in full IMAX. And even the close-ups, like you know, it wasn't like cake town bullshit. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. This, this movie still still looks great. Looks really the whole really thing good. Looks great. Yeah, the whole thing yeah. looks so good. Um, so, all right, uh, we get a credit sequence. We cut to the planet Morag. 26 years later, Peter finds an artifact. It's a mysterious orb. 
Just as he retrieves it, he's interrupted by Korath and his men. Peter flees and is able to escape them in his ship. Again, music, man. We are experienced the music in this movie through Peter Quill's first person perspective because he is wearing the headphones. Those headphones. Those Sony headphones. Yeah, those cheesy orange foam crappy headphones, man. But yeah, it's such a cool uh, perspective that we don't get in anything else. Yeah, I love the uh, the video game feel of um, the the first scene on Morag uh, yeah. after he puts the the music on, but um, just like dungeon raiding. Yeah, yeah, raiding yeah. a right. dungeon. Well, yeah. and, tube, and, tube, tube raiding. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and it really it calls to mind the first scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, mm-hmm. There's like, and, and the callback to it is just done perfectly because it totally makes sense when he's alone. You know, we all sing with our headphones are, on anyway. Are you really talking about an endgame? Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. An endgame. So, what I was going to say is the perspective of watching someone dance and sing, but you can't hear what they're dancing and yeah, singing. Yeah. That was, there, there's comedy in that inherently. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, and on his ship, we meet Barit, a one night stand that Peter forgot about. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, we we get the first glimpse at his weapons, the gravity grenade thing, yeah, and then yeah. just his blasters, um, and, real, and his little ankle jets. Which, which I have to say, real, very interesting uses of um, technology in this, like the gravity yeah. bomb thing, and then like, yeah. Um, it's not like your typical like explosions. Like they actually do interesting things as weapons. Well, it, you can tell that they're used by thieves, not killers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, his guns. They never really. They never gave him a name. Uh, didn't talk about the technology behind his his yeah, two yeah. pistols. Um, when I was doing the research, they called them elemental guns. Um, and they didn't always shoot the same thing throughout the movie. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. They you see changed. that the bl- the blasts will be different colors, or in the comics, like uh, the the gravity effect of the gravity grenade thing. That's one thing that his gun can do is he can draw things to him mm. by creating like a beam of like a tractor beam. Basically, they they answer all kinds of problems in the comics. Yeah. Um, Barit, by the way, is a comic character. the The one night stand. She's uh, an intergalactic uh, uh, pop star. In in the comics. Awesome. Um, And she first appeared in The Rampaging Hulk number one, January of 1977. (laughs) I know they love to have multiple titles for one character, but that's a good one. What's that title again? The The Rampaging Hulk. (laughs) Um, It says that her race is Krylorian. Krylorian me a river. (laughs) <laughs> um, all right, so uh, <laughs> Peter gets a call from Yondu, uh, the alien ravager who kidnapped Peter when he was a child. Yondu's angry that Peter took the orb. Uh, that was supposed to be a ravager job. The whole team was supposed to be on it. Um, Peter double-crossed Yondu. He hangs up. Um, Yondu, in his anger, puts a bounty on Peter's head. And Okay, another genius James gun thing. Um, the ravagers are space pirates, but thank goodness nobody's ever said that phrase. Yeah, no one ever yeah. says calls them space pirates. Ah, uh, they're a bunch of space pirates. You know, yeah. they have a code of honor. You know, they have a, a membership and such. But 
Did we mention that Sean Gunn is uh, the Ravager first mate? We forgot to mention yeah. Sean Gunn. He, oh, al- yeah. he also did stand in for a lot of the mocap. Yeah, he's, he's Rocket Raccoon. And as, well, as well as Thanos, apparently. He did the Thanos mocap. He he was even Calendar Man in Suicide Squad. He yeah. He's a, he's appeared in I think almost all of his yeah. brothers' movies in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And he was Weasel. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, he was he Weasel. Was, yeah. He was. Yeah. Uh, um, we meet Ronan the Accuser. He's interrogating a Xandarian soldier. He really hates Xandar. He is soaking in their blood. Yeah. That right, liquid at the like, beginning like is Xandarian blood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ronan's a little intense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude is That's a way, way past Israel Palestine levels of, you know, anger. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's kind of what he's leaning on here in the story is that Xandar and the Kree have this generations long feud, blood yeah. feud. Right. You know, yeah. you you murdered my father and my father's father and my father's father and here I am. I'm going to kill you now. Like Right. And the whole yeah. crux of it is that the Kree signed a peace treaty with Xandar and Ronin um is a rogue element of the Kree military who decides that he's going to ignore the treaty and destroy Xandar anyways. I mean, that's kind of yeah, the crux he, of the whole he's, film. He's General Zod. Yeah. In, in a way. Yeah, exactly. He, his motivations are political, but it's funny thing, these villains, you know, if they succeed in their missions, what then? Yeah. You know, I blew up Xander. What now? Yeah. What now? Well, I mean, the what now? I, 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 yeah, I think generally the what now is like onto the next planet to destroy whatever it may be. Um, we meet Nebula and Gamora, the daughters of Than- Than- Thanos, um, adopted daughters, daughters of Thanos. Uh, we learned that Ronan is looking for the orb as part of a deal with Thanos. He's going to oh, get. Shit. I'm sorry, I have another question. Is Nebula Cree? Originally? No, no. no. Um, um, she is? Hang on, I do have it somewhere. Just ask because she's blue. Um, they have her. The comics they have her species as Lufamoid. Hmm. <laughs> You got to get the Z pack for that. Yeah. She, I mean, yeah, she was, I think she was, it was kind of the similar thing to Gamora as a child. He destroyed her planet. Thanos probably destroyed her planet and then took her or half yeah, the planet. I, as a, uh, yeah. That, uh, yeah. 100% as far as her, her backstory. What's what I, I find interesting is that, um, but she's organic. She's not totally robot. Go ahead. What were you saying? I, I was just going to say, I think it's funny that like, Thanos was doing his half the universe thing by hand and the whole infinity gauntlet was just like he needed to find a labor saving device. <laughs> it's all about efficiency. Yeah. yeah Which true. not to spoil anything from what if we get, he is all about efficiency. Yes. <laughs> yes, he is. And, and later on, I don't know if anybody ever noticed, but he says something to Gamora. Maybe it's when he's on that planet, get the soul stone, but he's like, I saved you. Your family was your planet was destitute, um, famine. You were all going to die. You were living brutally, but we know for a fact that, it, like, it looks like a thriving society. And he personally takes Gamora away and off to the side. You yeah. know, like it wasn't. He wasn't defending your life. No, not anyway. at all. Um. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, we learned. Yeah. So Ronan's going to give the orb. 
um, to Thanos, um, and Thanos will destroy the planet Xandar in return. Uh, Korath reports to Ronan about the orb and Peter, and Ronan sends Gamora to retrieve the orb from Quill. So that's the worst deal ever. Ronan, Ronan accuses Gamora. If he knows this orb is powerful enough to destroy Xandar, why search for it? Why find it? Why give it to Thanos? Have him destroy Xandar? Well, he doesn't. He just knows that Thanos is trying to get this orb. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think Thanos either. was clear that the orb is what he would use to destroy Xandar. I think yeah. I think just you know, Thanos probably even without the orb probably could have could destroy Xandar if he really tried. I Which, think We'll get there because we, <laughs> we get our first explanation of the Infinity Stones in this movie mm-hmm. yeah. um, when that's revealed. But the room that the orb is held in, when when the orb is on the ground, you can see the little panel that shows yeah. the creation of the Infinity Stones. So I wonder if Ronan had gone to get it himself, he would have seen this and put it together. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's clever enough, but Quill didn't, Korath didn't. They yeah. just were in a room with a rock. You know, they didn't look at the walls or anything. They're not archaeologists. It just seems like, you know, doing deals, rule number one. <laughs> but let's proceed so this isn't taken yeah. care of. Yeah, so um, we cut to Xandar. We meet Rocket and Groot. They're after Quill due to the bounty on his head. Peter 40,000 tr- units. Yes. And yeah. they're going to be rich. Yep. And what a great introduction to buddies. Yeah. To the buddy, the buddy movie vibe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Rocket complaining about children <laughs> walking. Yeah. I don't know if people remember Lethal Weapon 2 all that much, but it's that dynamic. Absolutely. And I, and I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't drink fountain water. Yeah. You idiot. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like, why is it gross? Like, it's, he's drinking from what's coming out of the pump. But yeah, it'd be gross too, but it's just so funny. Rocket's just so disgusted. Yeah. Um, so, all right, Peter tries to unsuccessfully sell the orb to uh, his contact, who, uh, when they finds out Thanos is involved, doesn't want anything to do with it. He gets attacked by Gamora. Uh, Rocket and Groot try to capture Peter. Um, there's a big kerfuffle. They all end up getting arrested by the Nova Corps. Um, a little kerfuffle, like it was <laughs> Portland for a weekend. You know? Yeah, well, I there's, mean, there's a melee. Yeah, yeah, they fight each other. There's a bunch of fighting yeah, and running totally. in an action sequence. Um, Rocket calls them fascists. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's political. We meet uh, Nova Prime, the head of the Nova Corps. She's mad about Ronan attacking their outpost. The Kree government don't care. Uh, we get a lineup of each of the prisoners. Um, they get sent to the inescapable prison, the Kiln. Uh, there we learn that Gamora is wanted dead by all the other prisoners for being the daughter of Thanos. The whole processing scene of them as prisoners was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It's been done in a few movies, some very famous that we all know, but it was great. It's a great way to introduce them with their little like rap sheet profiles. Mm-hmm. Their reactions, yeah, it, it was it was great. So, of course, we had the Stan Lee cameo um, back on the streets of Xandar. Mm-hmm. He was Mister Smiles. Um, yes. In in the kiln, uh, there are two cameos. Um, yes, there are. Lloyd Kaufman is one of the 
prisoners. Yep. yep. And Nathan Fillion is the voice of the big blue alien that wants to lather up Quill. Yep. Oh, exactly. that gets the stem, there are the roots up his nose. Yeah. 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 We go yeah. through you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lloyd screaming. You can see him really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. I just love it. I also love it. Every movie is when it's like some somebody that somebody else really wants to brutally murder, but they're always just like, "You just wait, you just wait and see." And there's they always say that when they're standing a few feet away from each other with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> when, as soon as you fall asleep, I'm going to get you. It's like, why don't you just stab him in the head right now? <laughs> So, yeah, Rocket and group protect Quill as they plan on escaping. They still want the bounty on him. Gamora reveals to them that she was going to steal the orb and sell it herself, betraying Ronan and Thanos. Uh, That night, we meet Drax the Destroyer, another inmate. He wants to kill Gamora because Ronan killed his family, and Gamora was working with Ronan. Uh, Quill convinces Drax that Gamora um, can bring Ronan to him, Rocket, Quill, and Groot all join up with Gamora to escape and steal the orb, splitting the profits. Uh, we cut to Ronan. He hears from a mole in the, or, or he hears through uh, Thanos's uh, what guy? What's his Chitauri face? Chitari guy. No, it's the guy that Alex Dennis off. The other, yeah. Thank you. Um, that. Uh, Gamora's betraying he and Thanos. So Thanos summons Ronan to his presence. And then at Thanos' sanctuary, he lives on like a meteor. Like with nothing yeah. on it. And a chair. Yeah. And, well, it's, and obviously they wouldn't have known, but it's not the throne that we see later or the throne room. But yeah, he's just out there. Yeah. So this is like his getaway, it seems like, or like his meditation spot, because mm-hmm. he he runs his empire, whatever you want to call it, from a ship. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the right. sanctuary is a different place. Yeah. And we find out later on that he had the Black Order already at this point, but they're not around. Is this where he goes to get away from the Black Order? Because they're all dark and dramatic. And he just oh, yeah, the say, maybe like, he can't be found as easily when he's here. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Maybe the, the other is just his secretary. Also, well, that's for sure. Yeah, just brings yeah. his personal assistant with him when he goes on vacation. And it's just Mister Smithers, his team to run <laughs> yes. the business. Yeah, or it could be a flex. Like I'm so badass, I just sit in a chair in space. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of probably is some of that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. Basically, he warns Ronan not to fail him again, and sends him back after the orb. Ronan and Gamora head to the kiln. Together, I mean, this scene existed only to introduce Thanos. It doesn't serve any sort of right. of uh, narrative purpose in this movie itself. But I'm glad it did because it it, it set it up. You know, we didn't know what to expect exactly, and he he started portraying his version of Thanos right away. Yeah, do you know what I mean by that? The tone of his Brolin voice, mm-hmm. the attitude, the the quiet. The silence and the staring, mm-hmm. that's such a badass villain move. Yeah. It like is. Ronan's yelling and whining, and Thanos doesn't interrupt him, doesn't correct him. But when he's done, it's basically, okay, now if you don't do what I say, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only thing I don't take serious, boy, yeah. is you. Boy. Yes. He calls boy. him boy. <laughs> Your politics bore me. Like I've yes. I've memorized the thing that he says because it is yeah. so 
cutting. Like your you're politics a, bore me. Yeah. You are a child, and all you care about is politics. Yep. Or and or and revenge, vengeance. Yeah. Or, or you don't like these people on Xandar, you know, like yeah, and boy. Mm-hmm. You know, and we know historically that has some intense connotations. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't feel as in you know, as offensive it doesn't feel offensive in this. I mean, that's some that is some putting you in your place bullshit. You know what it, I mean? Like if you were in a bar and you were on the verge of a bar fight and you called the dude boy. Oh yeah, there'd be a bar fight. That yeah. would start the fight. You would have to fight at yeah. that point. You would that, have to fight. That them's fighting words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Them, if there are any, it's them's. Well, and Thanos is just playing with his food, man. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, Ronan, exactly. Ronan leaves Tuck's tail. Like oh, yes, yeah. sir. Yes, so, sir. So much. Sorry, sir. I'll replace your guy when I get a chance, sir. Like, I mean. Even later on, when Ronan takes the stone for himself, you don't get the feeling that Thanos is in any way worried. He's just slightly worried. annoyed. Yeah, yeah, he's just watching the whole ceremony. Like Jesus, bro, take <laughs> like, a breath, chill and, out. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's that same kind of thing of like, all right, I'm gonna hire this guy, and I'm gonna hire this guy, and then finally, and he even he uses the line like, if you want something done, you have to do it yourself. Yeah, but that's exactly it, and that's the look on his face, like a very angry, disappointed employer. This is the only like I need to see you in the office <laughs> before Silent. Infinity War and Endgame that we would have seen Thanos really like wreck shit, and it would have been yeah. so satisfying to see him knock. Ronan down one peg and take the power stone from him. I'm glad we didn't. Right. Well, out of the large story and out of this story, it ends so funny, but like that was his one moment that maybe Ultron, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's like him not killing the collector, right? Did he kill the collector? He didn't. He He does. Technically. Yes. I think he'd already killed the collector because he's a, he's an illusion. Yeah. So, oh, that uh, makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, back in the prison, uh, the four guardians begin their prison break. Drax joins them in the chaos because he wants to stick with them to get to Ronan. They escape. They get Peter's ship. They head to meet Gamora's buyer. We learn that Gamora doesn't know what the orb really is, and they argue and get to know each other on the ship. I loved how they just threw us into that, the, the prison break, because... Rocket saying, we need to do that last, but Groot's already not already paying did. attention <laughs> and grabbing it. I love the economy of the storytelling through all this. Like, we don't get the, like, three days in the prison <laughs> and they're planning and everything. They're just like, nope, we're all just doing it. Planning. Yeah. yeah. Visually, yeah. it is all happening. It, it's it, like, it, it, yeah. in a normal heist, you would have them explaining as the steps are happening. Yeah, yeah happening. a montage, yeah. In that moment, yes, yeah. just behind his back, he can't oh, see. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And it it was as if the camera was one of those drones, attack drones, because it was beautiful. It just moved around so fast and so much action, and yeah. Mm-hmm. The design of this this uh, I guess this is the cafeteria, the center of the kiln, mm-hmm. uh-huh. being a circle around that watchtower. Yeah. made for those shots to be possible and it's really really clever blocking and all that stuff and if and having them have to work together it has such a you know like great escape or magnificent magnificent seven or you know the that western vibe type thing yeah 
we're all outlaws. We actually showed up to kill each other, but now we're going to we work together. A, we need yeah. everyone to live. Yeah. And I need that guy's leg. Yeah, yeah. that that was hilarious. Um, back on, uh, let's see, back on Xandar, um, Yondu's tracing Peter's steps, looking for him, trying to find out who the buyer for the orb is. We cut to the Collector, who we first met in Thor the Dark World. The Guardian. And we, we just said before, I've always known him as a character. I always knew who he was, but... Uh, Benicio Del Toro's performance is incredible. What an interesting character. Yeah. What's what's so funny is that he seems to have forgotten 100% what he was doing in these movies by the time we get to What If? Because that is not the same character at all. It's true. Um, Yeah. The Guardians arrive at nowhere. It's the severed head of a celestial where the collector lives. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. They mine well, they the brainstem fluid. They don't say that it's a celestial, too. They just imply it is a ancient being. Well, she says an ancient celestial being. Yeah. I think oh, does she, she does say celestial? Say she says the word celestial in describing it. Yes. Because if you if you go back, it, the celestials were even before the Eternals. Yeah. 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 So she doesn't specifically say it's a celestial. She describes it as an ancient celestial being. Eon is one. I think they even say. That is some point. Yeah. His dad was the oh ego. Uh, ego. Yeah. yeah. Um so, so yeah. Rocket and Drax get drunk and do some sort of betting. Um in the in the cantina type scene. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love that that Groot really doesn't understand what's happening. Yeah. He's horrified. Uh, yes, he is. <laughs> once he finds out yeah, once he sees the ultimate end of the game is death, it's just like, what? I just bet on that. <laughs> Um, Peter and Gamora flirt. Uh, then Drax and Rocket get in a fight. Um, it gets broken up by Peter. Then Drax stomps away in a big old huff. They meet the Collector, who explains that the orb contains an Infinity Stone. It's the Power Stone, to be exact. Meanwhile, Drax contacts Ronan, telling him where they are in an effort to lure him there to kill him. Meanwhile, the collector's uh, servant <laughs> tries to take the Infinity Stone, causing a big explosion. The Guardians escape, taking the stone in the orb with them. Gamora wants to take it to Novacor and convinces Peter to help her. But just then, Ronan arrives. He easily defeats Drax. While the others flee by ship, pursued by Ronan's followers and Nebula, Nebula destroys Gamora's ship, leaving her floating in space. Ronan's fighters capture the orb and go away. Uh, Quill rescues Gamora, contacting Yondu with his, uh, his with where he is. Yondu arrives and saves cool. them I'm from sorry. dying in space. Right, exactly. Um, I thought that was beautiful. I, I thought it did evoke emotion. It was, the way he saved her, the way he thought he might die. It was done very well and not cheesy. And throughout the movie, and you know, I love critics that they just love to compare him to Her- uh, Harrison Ford and Han Solo. And, and there are elements of that. But that moment gave you that same kind of vibe as I love you, I know. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. He's like, uh, the likelihood is I'm going to die, but I'm going to die trying to save her life. Yeah. Well, it just so. It just suddenly made me think about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when he surrenders to the Nazis to protect Marion. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, exactly. There's, I mean, there's definite Harrison Ford vibes in this, but what, what Chris Pratt's doing and the character in general reminds me more than anything else of um, Kurt Russell in in Big Trouble in Little China and a little bit Escape from New York, but mostly Big Trouble in Little China. You're, yeah, yeah you're that. absolutely right. I would, yeah, Big Trouble. Yes. There, there was a really cool uh, effects bit um, in the chase when. Uh, Peter Quill uses the the pod that he's it's some they're mining pods I'm assuming mm-hmm. um, and uses it to rip open one of the necro ships oh yeah and then get and then like pilots the pod inside to yeah. use the pod's hand to pilot the, the right. other ship yeah he's it using was, the ship to pilot the ship yeah the pod to pilot cool. the ship yeah that was very cool in fact you know another thing like because there's a certain kind of like douchey douchey like dirt bagness to um star lord and this mm-hmm. which again mm-hmm. you know big trouble but also a little bit um so michael douglas in romancing the stone like it's that kind of like kind of dirt bag kind of energy yeah and again i don't entirely agree with it but han solo uh, yeah. as well yeah yeah definitely yeah. he's that's just in it for the money anyway. and to get the girl at best right. Yeah, it's about the scheme. Rocket's the same way. You don't have to just compare him to Star-Lord. It's the same kind of thing. He has a heart. He does care, but he can't care about everything. He's He's got to make money. He's got to get going. What does he say when they leave the collector's den? You had that thing in your purse? Why do you still have it? <laughs> right. right. Like, <laughs> he's like, just it's leave not, it. Yeah, he's like, it's not a purse. It's a knapsack. <laughs> but Rocket it's it, a immediately is, is like, dude, that thing's dangerous. Don't bring it with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love the way he delivered that. <laughs> Why do you still have that thing? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Drax, Rocket, and Groot decide to rescue Peter and Gamora. While back on his ship, Ronan contacts Thanos, telling him he's keeping the Infinity Stone. He puts it in his Cosmorod, <laughs> telling Thanos he's going to use it <laughs> to destroy Xandar. And then he's That's coming for him. Game. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what it is I call him <laughs> um, Nebula tells Ronan she's going to help him as she hates her dad I love their re- their interaction <laughs> you dare challenge me and she's like no dude if you kill my dad I'll do anything for you it's like when teenagers on the internet get together and scheme to get rid of one of them <laughs> seriously yeah. well and he is so petty and so is Nebula they are made for each other man oh yeah they're just yeah. spite and vengeance mm-hmm. and blue you know so much vengeance so much stupid misplaced anger yeah yeah and not very good not very intimidating yeah yeah <laughs> yeah every every I attempt at intimidation you. is yeah. it just fails mm-hmm. right thanos so. looks him right in the eye yeah calls him boy um, so, all right, on the Ravager ship, Yondu is going to kill Peter, but then he and Gamora convince Yondu to help them get the stone from Rowan in return for letting him keep it. Drax with the gun on top of the ship is one of my favorite shots in this movie. Yeah. It is such a, it is such an idiot baller move. Like yeah. it is like the stupidest thing you could do. Mm-hmm. Stand on a spaceship with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like in part two when he like attaches himself with a chain or a cable. Yes. Yeah. It's not a good plan. 
why would you do it? He was uh, all about it. Well, there's a there's there's a lot of complaints about Drax's uh, characterization in these movies as being underpowered, mm. and I really disagree with that. To, I do too. to a large extent because we see things like he's standing in the vacuum of space, just like big swing and dick move. I've got the big gun. I'm going to point it at you. Right. Like the, and guardians Two, hanging on by a chain. Right. Like he is very, very capable. He's just doesn't have the brains to follow up with this brawn. Yeah. But, but then there are scenes where he does have that brain. It's just, that's the brain he has. Like they explain the <laughs> metaphor thing and going over his head and yeah. talking, talking to mantis, talking to, to rocket. I don't, I don't think a single thing he's ever said it was malicious. No. Do you no. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's like being around someone that, you know, we'll just say, you know, has a condition where they cannot help but not have a filter. Mm-hmm. Every every single thing they think comes out. And yeah, I, I like that part of his and he's not just brute strength. He you know yeah. he's honesty like also. Yeah, he is honesty. <laughs> Brutal honesty. Yeah. Um, so, but, all right, just then, um, yeah, so uh, then we get a planning mon. Okay, no, no, so yeah. They rescue, Drax, Rocket, and Groot arrive to rescue them. They all join up together. The Guardians have do the big thing where they have the thing and they talk each other into going to do the right thing to save the galaxy. We're yeah, all the dirty thing or the, you know, yeah. her hand in. What did you say, Brian? We're all standing. Yeah, yeah, happy. Um, yeah. No, that was brilliant. Yeah. And another joke at movie tropes. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, so aware of the tropes that they're fulfilling. Like the putting the hands in. So many movies of everybody puts their hands yeah. in. Like, like oh. Quill after rescuing Gamora, I just felt something inside me. So heroic. I mean, objectively, yeah. like, <laughs> it's not wrong, but also, yeah. it's what why you are you saying that? Love, you yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, standing up. Now we're all standing up. Are you happy? Does this mean more? Yeah. Uh, so we get a planning montage. Um, if Ronan gets to the surface of Xandar with the stone, he can destroy the planet. Um, they have to keep him from getting to the surface and touching the stone to it. Uh, because of the Simpsons, it's funny. The, the, his ship is called the Black Aster. It's spelled differently. But anyways, um, you know, very wealthy heiress, dowager, um, Mrs. Aster, who mm. owned the Astro's Tale in New York. Anyway, she was on the Titanic, and she was one of the people that survived because she was white and rich and a woman. So she got right on the boat. Yeah, of course. Um, but if you notice every now and then on the Simpsons, there'll be a bottom headline that says, Mrs. Aster safe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it just uh, every time they brought the ship, that's all I thought of. Yeah, well, Mrs. The, Aster yeah, safe because that, that, that was an actual headline in the New York Times when that's the Titanic, what I mean. Yeah. But it'll, it'll appear in common time, yeah. like today's newspaper. Still safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all right, she's dead. So the headline is great. Yeah. Um. So Peter contacts Novacore, tipping them off about the impending attack. They launch their plan. Uh, they break. Breach the Dark Aster with the Milano. Oh, FYI, named after Alyssa Milano. Because Quill oh. is a teenager from Earth. Um, yes. Quill. Left yeah. Earth in 1988, yeah. In 1988. I 100% did have a crush on Alyssa Milano in 1988 myself. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was just referring to the delicious pepperidge farm <laughs> 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 that he misses so. Uh, 
Um, Ronan. Those were also named after Alyssa Milano. Yeah. They also were, exactly. (laughs) Like, who's the boss? These cookies. Uh, Ronan uses his empowered Warhammer to destroy the Nova Corps (laughs) fleet. Come on, call it what it is. The Cosmorod. Yeah. Drax kills Korath. Gamora defeats Nebula, who escapes. The group finds themselves outmatched by Ronan's power until Rocket crashes. That was was a badass escape. Dude, she rips her own arm off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, nobody does that, but, you know, the the scene with Obi-Wan and Anakin when they're flying through the city and jumping on different cars and into different cars. Uh Uh-huh. Kind of had that vibe. I loved it. Yeah. And to me, this, not to like get too big into like the symbolism of what she's doing. She is an animal that is trapped Mm -hmm. and she is chewing off her own limb to escape the trap. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, and this is how Nebula becomes an independent operator, but she doesn't. Cause she does go back to Thanos who, as we'll see later on is very (laughs) unhappy with her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she right. tried, but she also knows that nobody really tried. To, uh, Gamora tried to say her, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nebula is a deeply traumatic and flawed character. That's really interesting to look at through that lens of like, but, what do you do when you get free? Like, you sometimes you wind up back with the people who trapped you in the first place. Yeah. It's Stockholm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and Nebula's arc through this into Endgame is just beautiful. She has a great yeah. arc. Oh my god, man! Oh, and in the comics. It's intense. He he basically makes her a living decomposed body to try to impress death. Because yeah. Because the whole storyline is Thanos is in love with death and yeah. trying to impress her. And so he just he basically, you know, keeps her alive but kills her as a gift to death. Yeah. And then she gets the infinity gauntlet in that state of mind. Yes, you're right. Oh, that is one. I was hoping that that was going to be one of the outcomes of the the storyline. But man, that yeah. moment is one of my favorite moments in Marvel history. It's crazy. Um. So, all right. Uh, yeah. Rocket crashes Ravager ship into the Dark Aster. The damaged Dark Aster crash lands on Xandar. Groot sacrifices himself to shield the group. Okay, so here's a you know there weren't many places. This whole thing, I teared up big time. Yeah, Groot sacrificing himself was one of the hardest things I've seen. Well, Rocket sacrificing himself because Rocket didn't expect to survive yes. this. He didn't shoot a hole in the ship like they did initially. Right, he no. just kamikaze into the ship. Probably yeah, think he's say. going to die. Yeah, to yeah. save his friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's I, true. Maybe he's more Han Solo. You know, he's got Groot as his Chewy, but yeah, yeah, that was a kamikaze. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if I make it through, right on. But here we go. Yeah, he wasn't even sure any of his friends were going to survive his own attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because he barreled right did. over uh, Drax. Yeah, so, yeah, at the same boy. time. I love the shot of them like just all getting hit. And Groot saving Star uh, Star Lord and all that. There's a lot that happens in that moment when he hits the ship. Yeah, there is. That's our one slow motion moment, I think, in the whole movie. I thought it was uh, Star Lord who grabbed Groot and pushed him out of the way. Is it Star Lord who grabs Groot? I think you're right. Hmm. Yeah, there was the uh, the slow motion. Of, oh, at the very end too. Oh no. Uh, at the the collector's place uh, when it blew up, uh, oh. Groot ran Rocket out. 
So we do get multiple. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, that and then the the moon gun that they shoot Drax with. Yeah, or not Drax. They shoot Ronan with. Yeah, and, and then again in the end when we see it again. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. There's a few slow mos, but all right. So um, yeah. Um, they crash. Ronan emerges from the wreck, prepares to destroy Xandar. Peter distracts Ronan with the dance battle. He names them. Yeah. Behold, yes. your guardians of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they would have just been yeah. some assholes from space if he hadn't said that out loud. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He names them. Um, and not the universe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They cruise around as if it's a CB radio or police scanner and they listen for shit that's going down. They're like, all right. Let's check this out. Yeah. Um, but they, they guarded this galaxy. They mm-hmm. kept this galaxy from dying. Yeah. Bad, badass. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the distraction allows Drax and Rocket to destroy Ronan's uh, Cosmorod. <laughs> Quill grabs the st- Infinity Stone as it flies off it, and um, he's going to die from its energy. But with Gamora, Drax, and Rocket grabbing his hands, sharing his burden, he uses it to vaporize Ronan. So I really like the the mirroring at the beginning. He refuses to take his mother's hand. Here he takes Gamora's hand. And, and he sees his mother in this moment. Yeah. Right. He sees his mother in this moment. And there, <laughs> there's a lot going on uh, how much he um, associates this love interest <laughs> with his mother. <laughs> There's yep. a yeah. lot of psychological stuff happening there. There definitely is. Um, th- there aren't Ravager women, right? You know. Oh, there are. We there don't see are. them until Michelle Yeoh. I think is a Ravager uh, in the next movie. Yeah, but, then- but in Peter's situation, he was only raised by Yondu and those kind of. He was raised by the Lost Boys, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the mom thing, yeah, he he has some some stunted growth though, and, and a lot of regret and guilt. Yeah, and, you which, know, that's a motivator for saving your life. It's not just romantic. It's I couldn't save my mom's life, so yeah. I'm gonna die to trying to save. Gamora. I, I what I love most about this end moment. There's a lot of like, so when they escape from the prison, he says to Rocket, "That's a great plan." And then when they plan their defense of Xandar. He was like, I've got like 12% of a plan and they're all mocking him for it. The way they win, there is no plan. Star-Lord improvises. Mm -hmm. It's a dance-off, bro. I'm distracting you. Yeah. He is literally... Rocket is is not aware. Like... Rocket's improvising a weapon. Yeah. He's improvising. He's doing his thing, yeah. Like, everybody is improvising in this last moment and we get... Gamora, who improvises this heartfelt, I don't know, Peter, take my hand. You're going to die on your own. Like right. it, it shows a lot about the the Guardians of the Galaxy just kind of shooting from the hip. Oh, but yeah. sometimes that works really well, you know. Well, not only does it really work, but that, that that's another thing, you know, about the there's all the pop culture references and, and growing up with that shit. But also, just like Footloose, for example. We grew up watching movies where the problem was resolved with very weird 
ways. Yes. Yeah. Like dance offs, like uh, sing offs, or do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And that's I the culture that Peter grew up with. with. But that's what he grew up with. Exactly. Yeah. Like the issue in Footloose is resolved by dancing. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of the few movies he remembers. Well, yeah. And it's funny because, because, it. well, yeah. Um, oh, uh, I'll leave it for afterwards. All right. So, Rocket. Um, let's see. Yondu insists on. Okay. Well, Yondu insists on taking the stone. Quill gives him a fake orb. Ravagers leave. We discover that Yondu was hired to deliver Peter to his father when he was a boy, but they never did that. Rocket clutches the remaining branch of Groot while Drax pets him. I love. I loved that moment, dude. The mocap. The way that they make him relax. Yeah. Mm. Like resist and then mm-hmm. relax, and his whole tail. Relaxes. Yeah. That that got me a little uh, sweaty in the eyeballs. Yeah. (laughs) Eyeballs sweaty. Um, And also, we don't know this now, but we learn learn what father Yondu is talking about. Later on. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's talking about ego. So, Mm -hmm. so we find out that he, he did save his life in a sense. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, later on we do. Yeah. Um, so we cut to some time later at the Nova Corps headquarters. Nova prime tells Peter he's only half Terran. His father was an ancient unknown alien species. They rebuilt. (laughs) He's all the, (laughs) the bottom half. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, they rebuilt the Milano and expunged the uh, Guardian's criminal records. Uh, Quill finally opens the last present he received from his mother. It's volume two of the awesome mix. Um, the Guardians leave on the Milano along with a potted sapling cut from Groot, which grows up into baby Groot. Uh, Dude, the unwrapping of the tape and like Gamora putting her hand on his shoulder. This was the second moment in this movie. Where I was just like welling up a little bit. Mm. Oh, because he'd been resisting to open this present for twenty six years. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I totally get it, but yeah, how intense! Mm. That's yeah. quite a moment to decide to open it. Yeah, because well, he probably knows what's in there. He knows what his mother gives him as gifts. Right. He just didn't want to yeah. hear it yet. Yeah, he, he wasn't ready to he, hear it. He wasn't ready. It, it's a way of finally saying goodbye to his mother. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then getting to see a new side of her because it was a new set of songs that meant so much to her. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Very emotional. James Gunn hit, hit every button and he didn't overdo it. Yeah. Um, in the after credits uh, scene, the collector sits among his destroyed archive with two of his living exhibits, Cosmo the dog and Howard the duck. <laughs> and that is a duck fact. It's true. Well, yeah. What did you say? For- it burns going down? Yeah. Drinking the thing. That's like the last line. Yeah. I think. Well, we also had the baby group cameo, which yeah. was very necessary and uplifting. Yeah, absolutely. We it's have to make funny. sure we know. Um, I guess technically that is not Groot's son. It is a clone of Groot, according to Arborists. It would I be always it. thought that. I thought that. I never no. thought it was his son. Well, it's still, it's it's still Groot. No, no. It yeah. is not Groot. James Gunn insists it's not Groot. It doesn't have the same memories. It is a clone of Groot. He insists. Well, it has to be a clone. That's how that works. But like yeah, it has its own personality. Like this, is, he James Gunn insists it's a different character with different memories and a different personality. I can uh, buy it. But um, 
Yeah. yeah. I don't Science. know if I can. But, all right. <laughs> I, mean, to... I mean, you can't buy that it's a different character? Uh, buy is if... Do I think it's possible? Yes. I I don't believe... I don't agree. <laughs> That's all. I okay. Guess. Well, I mean, take it up with James Gunn. He's the one that said it. Um, <laughs> well, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know, you, you, you can call Brian Singer if well, you want and tell well, him about how you feel. Uh, there's a lot I tell Brian Singer, but anyways. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't be about movies, really, though. <laughs> yeah. um, some of the Easter eggs. Um, we see that um, in their lineup. We see that Rockets as uh, named associates or Groot. And Lila, Lila being a sentient otter who he was romantically involved with in the comics. Uh, we let's see. Um, all of the coordinates were um, actually spell out things, messages from Peter's mother. Like so, when we see the coordinates of the uh, Dark Aster. Um, if you decode it, it says, this is mom's cancer. Huh. Um, and the coordinates for nowhere decoded read Meredith Quill X. Or ABBA, depending on how you read it. Mm. <laughs> Which is funny. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, one of, uh, one of Groot's, um, associates, it's Tibius Lark. And I was unable to find what that means. It doesn't seem to appear in any of the comics. One of whose associates? Groot. Tibius hmm. Lark. Is a lark a bird? He's the partner. A lark, yeah, a lark is, is a bird, and a tibius a is lark, part of a yeah. bone. Bone bird? I don't bone know. Bone bird. I don't know. Groot's a real freak. Yeah, I bird don't know. Um, <laughs> so, um, bird bone, the sexier bird box sequel. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's see. He describes the orb as having a real shiny blue suitcase, Ark of the Covenant, uh, Maltese Falcon vibe, uh, uh-huh. Ark of the Covenant, um, and, um, and Maltese well, Falcon are some obvious references. Shiny blue suitcase is a reference to a 2003 movie. Which is interesting because that's one of the few references that Peter Quill makes that is not from 1988 or previous. What movie? What's the movie. Uh, it was. Um, let me see. It was from "Kiss Me Deadly." I know. No, I'm sorry. The Big Empty, 2003. Huh. Um, in which a uh, let's see. Uh, that movie. Let's see. Um, John Favreau. It's a it's a John Favreau movie. He has to deliver a shiny blue suitcase across country, and he doesn't know what's in it, and people are after him. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's a little anachronism. So I'm wondering if that was like just a reference because of John Favreau and John Favreau's association with the MCU. Yeah. If that's what that was about. Um. Yeah. So. Um. Well, we know that some of the uh, Ravagers may have been back to the Earth. We will find out later. Yes. Yeah. Um, Probably. um, I have just a couple unanswered questions. Where was he? Oh, hang on. Uh, um, I was just looking at other uh, Easter eggs. The the 12% of a plan. 
was a nod to uh, one of the oh the was it the Avengers? Yeah, where where uh, where Tony tells Pepper so, to give herself twelve oh. percent of the credit, twelve percent of the credit, mm-hmm. and then she yeah. says, "I was having twelve percent of a moment." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. Um, All right. So, so I um, questions. Yeah, unanswered questions. Where was Peter getting all the double uh, A batteries for his Walkman? <laughs> it's chemical. All of those years. It's chemical electricity. I'm sure they could figure out how much um, power. I'm sure. Actually, the, yeah. they're called Amulex batteries. <laughs> Are you Larry batteries? Um, <laughs> uh, well, my- I'm sorry, but in the Simpsons episode we watched this week, Homer went searching for batteries and uh, ever ready, sometimes ready, always dead. Yeah. <laughs> ever dead? Yes. Yeah. Um, All- already dead. Already did. So, so the the question about the batteries thing, uh, it's like Quill's tape player in his ship. Mm. He just had somebody custom make him something. You know, it is pretty archaic technology, it like is. low voltage, chemical power. Yeah, a thing that reads cellulose tape or magnetic tape, like which is another thing. A cassette tape is not going to last twenty six years with that much use. No. I, I had tapes that, that that started getting real bad and scratchy after like three or four years. I feel like if the only if it's the only tape he has and the only time it ever comes out of the container is to flip it, it would probably last a lot longer than if you were sticking other tapes or putting it into its case and that kind of thing. Well, too. no, no. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, the thing is, is just playing it. It starts to literally rub the rust off the tape. So playing yeah, right. the tape itself degrades the tape. I have tapes from 30 years ago that still play, but then, uh, yeah, same as I've had ones that lasted about a month. So, so yeah. it depends, but also, yeah, that there's that. Oh, and the biggest thing about his Walkman, having owned a number of Walkman with the uh, headphones with the cheap foam over them, that foam is huh. going to wear through within a month. Well, yeah, yeah, that foam is the one real questionable thing <laughs> yeah. on that whole, like, yeah. Yeah, that Maybe it was happen. like an iPad situation when, in parents. is like you get 10 minutes of Walkman in a day. Just Yeah. Uh, but that's about it. Oh, and I was kind of, I, I watching it this time through, I was kind of surprised that there was no resolution with uh, the Peter's one night stand. Like him just like, all right, I'll drop you off here kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like maybe they wrote it and just didn't shoot it or cut it or something. Right. I, I'd be really curious to see what this thing looked like before it went through a full editing process. This to me, this feels like a new hope where it's like, it's a miracle that this movie is as tight and perfect as it is. Yeah. Because it could not have been written this perfectly and executed this perfectly from beat to beat to beat to beat and from like every evolutionary step. This thing. I I forgot there was even the Jaws scene. Where Quill's showing off the different scars on his body. Oh and yeah. From, oh yeah. The women yeah. who gave him to him. And yeah. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. a Jaws reference. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he. Uh, he or uh, a so Roadhouse much. reference. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd be taller. Uh, um. Did Did we talk <laughs> about the collector's explanation of the origins of the Marvel Universe? 
not really. Did we really get into that? We did not. Because he sh- he shows a celestial using the power stone. Yes, he does. We we get the explanation that before the universe existed, there were six concentrated ingots or whatever six elements that were then concentrated into ingots like uh-huh. it's it's an interesting thing that establishes the rest this is the beginning of the back half of the marvel universe mm-hmm. um he said that there were yeah. uh he called them singularities thank yeah, you yeah that's right yeah. and then like after they exploded so like, yeah we there had, were six big bangs yeah i don't know prior to the big bang that we now have uh, yeah. our yeah. universe that exists out of and yet, whatever. And yet, according to comic book canon, they're not as powerful as they later were made out to be. Yeah, there there are more powerful things in the universe. Right, which I think is what we're probably going to be leading up to here in Phase 4. Yeah. I think I think phase four is gonna be time related, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah, well, yeah, and I mean, let's not forget that it took three phases to get to Infinity Saga. Yeah. So, um, sure. you know, phase it may, we may be looking at phase four, five, and six to lead up to and the next humongous thing. Yeah. Oh, there are big things already afoot in the MCU. Uh, oh sure, it's crazy. Um, well, yeah, if if it's true, they've. <laughs> They have an, um, introduced a very important character. If if he if that dude is Kang, then it changes a lot. Oh, well. In addition, in addition to Kang and the multiverse, uh, there are there are things that happen in the Eternals movie that expand on this movie also, which is really oh, yeah. interesting. Cool. Yeah, I read those spoilers, so I kind of know what you're talking about, even though I haven't seen the movie yet, but yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and it's also time for an actual Doctor Doom. Mm, that'd be the nice, power, eventually. The actual powerful Doctor Doom yeah, that yeah. exists. Yeah, so, all right, guys, you ready to rank Guardians? Oh. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look here on our big old ranking list. Um, let's see. Um, our top rated MCU movie is The Avengers. We've got Iron Man, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Captain America, The First Avenger, Iron Man 3 at 11. I feel like it's better than Captain America, The First Avenger. For sure, without question. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I'd be fine between Spidey Two and First Avenger. Well, um, what do we think about where? What I don't know. Um, Al, Brian, what are what are your guys' thoughts on this area? I think this is better than all the other Batman movies, uh, like <laughs> Batman Begins and Batman Eighty Nine. I I I kind of agree on Batman Begins but then in retrospect I don't know if Batman Begins is actually better than Batman 89 but again that's just Batman 89 reasserting its nostalgia over me as we get further away from the movies that we ranked above it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I could make arguments that this is better than Guardian or than uh, Winter Soldier even but but I that's 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 saying quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's an argument to be made, but it's it's it is questionable. I don't know. Al, what are what are your hmm. thoughts? Uh, that I I don't know. 
<laughs> I didn't know that was option. I'm using that next time. Uh, um, Go fish. Um, I I agree with all your points, but I can't fine tune it. Mm. Uh, well, it's going to keep changing as the movies get better, so you can kind of put it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this our first space movie? Yes. I mean, I feel green, like, yeah. the green lantern. That's true, but I mean, we only see two two places in space in that movie. We don't really see. Well, no, that's not true. I feel like it is in the MCU. Oh yeah, definitely in the MCU. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's our first one that like deals like uh, so heavily like in spaceships and like all of that. Okay, sci-fi. This is stuff. the first movie that does not happen on earth whatsoever right other than the um other than the prologue there is no earth in this movie yeah absolutely um i don't know how about this is really tough because i feel like it could really go anywhere between four and four and seven (laughs) um it really could Uh, do we want to go ahead and just uh, just let's split the difference and put it at five? Yeah, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm happy with that. All right. Then that's where it's going. We are putting it at number five. All right. I'm looking to see where it landed on other MCU lists. I don't know if that's wise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of your mileage may vary on other lists, I find. Not our list, though. No. Ours is the definitive list. <laughs> yes, our Listener, list. <laughs> you can that's... trust us to come to serious conclusions. Yes, we make no mistakes. At all in ranking movies, except for maybe Swamp Thing, it could be higher. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the, the rule, there are no rules, and the points don't matter. So yeah, the the first list I looked at, uh, they had it. They had Guardians um, below Winter Soldier by a little bit. Who? Um, what? They had it at number six. They had it below Winter Soldier, like we have it. Um, but above Who's they, another podcast or it's like a nerd blog or what? Um, I mean, I, or just they, the general they, whatever list I just looked at. Yeah, there's so many. It's so, not government sanctioned, yeah. so yeah. But all right, so well, you guys, we're moving on to next week. Next week on Harmless Phosphorescence, we are going to be watching. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Heroes in a Half Shell. Oh, yeah, it has the movie in the title also. You forgot that part. Oh, the movie. Teenage the movie. Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. <laughs> Not just a movie. The movie. Yeah. Um, Unrelated, I want to point out that I was watching uh, the movie version of 21 Jump Street, and there's a point where he runs out of bullets and then just throws the gun. Yeah. Baby Lord style. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Turtle power. 
Yeah, I've never seen this one, so <laughs> it'll be interesting. Um, that's next. I bet they still love pizza. <laughs> I bet they. they yeah, I think one of them is a vegetarian. Ooh. Okay. All right. So that is next week on Harmless Phosphorescence. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for uh, watching or listening and hanging out with us. This has been your host, Rose Smiley. I'm in a big hurry to get from something stupid to nothing at all. God damn it. That was mine. And I didn't <laughs> write down another one. Um, let's see. Um, that, that guy's haircut should be criminal. <laughs> Man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Cease your yammering and relieve yeah. us from this irksome consignment. I'm Brian Lesh. Josh should go beat up some grass. Yeah. Um, he's so mad. Uh <laughs> Ninja Turtle, you better stop poking me. I'm Alaric Weber. <laughs> we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>